Oh. Well, good evening, Saul. How are we all doing tonight? Yeah. Okay, there's at least five people awake. <laughs> In case you don't know me, uh, my name is Ethan Klingsheim. I'm one of the leaders here. And tonight, I have the joy and honor to wrap up our series in Titus. Hopefully those of you who've been with us uh, as we've gone through this book have learned new things and grown closer to God as a result. I know it's definitely been helpful for me. Um, as a heads up for tonight, uh, like Grace mentioned a little bit, we'll be in small groups for a good amount of time, so I won't be up here for too long, don't worry. Uh, we'll be investigating the passage looking at Titus as a whole as well a little bit. Um, as we prepare to oops, sorry. As we prepare to explore the last chapter of Titus, would you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for for this entire book, Lord, for all that it means to us, for the call that it puts on our lives as followers of you to obey your commands and to live as your son lived. I pray tonight that these words would not be my own, but yours, uh, that you would speak to each and every heart in the room, that we might grow closer to you, and that we might encourage each other in our walk. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so, small recap. Last week, uh, Nathan finished up the remainder of chapter 2. We got to, he spoke on the effect that God's grace has on our lives, how it guides us both in heart and action to live like Christ. It helps us understand a little bit of the context of what we'll be getting into tonight. So if you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open to Titus chapter 3. We'll be going through the entirety of it, verses 1 through 15. Um, give you a little bit to flip there if you've got an analog Bible, as it were. All right. Without further ado, Titus 3, 1 through 15. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who, may, who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. So before we dive deeper into the specific verses, let's look at the big picture first, now that we have the whole passage. We see Paul calling Titus to remind the people how they ought to behave. Paul mentions why within verse 3, because living life outside of God leaves us empty, selfish, hateful, and envious of others. But because of God's mercy, his undeserved forgiveness that he gives us, we live a life renewed through the Holy Spirit. Paul then tells Titus to cling to and insist on these truths. Why? Because Paul anticipates or knows of the various obstacles to that truth, and they distract from the beautiful simplicity of the gospel. Paul then tells Titus to be decisive in warning people that continue distracting from the truth, and he gives uh, contextual information and uh, concerning his companions and fellow believers, and ends with greetings and a proclamation of grace. So there's a lot to talk about here. So first I want us to focus in on the first couple verses. Uh, let me reread them real quick. Remind them, them being the Cretans, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Oh, that first one's really fun. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Sounds really American, doesn't it? <laughs> a country founded on a revolution against a ruler. Not really. Uh, and given how the people of Crete are described in the first chapter of Titus, if you remember back, it seems that it's a necessary reminder, both then and now. But there's good reason for why Paul emphasizes submitting to authority. Uh, it's not his only writing on the matter, as a, ma as a matter of fact. Um, so, to summarize Romans uh, 13, 1 through 5, it tells us that God has sovereignty over earthly authorities and that they are in place for our good. And though history and the present have terrifying examples of corruption, persecution, and brutality within that kind of leadership, especially political, Paul himself has been nearly stoned to death, wrongly accused of inciting riot, 
multiple times and wrongfully imprisoned all before writing Romans. He's not talking from a place of privilege or inexperience. He's had wrongdoing done to him by authority and yet still charges them and us to submit. Note though, obedience to earthly authority does not take priority over our obedience to God, but it leaves no room for selfish rebellion. None. Be ready for every good work. We should be in tune with the will of God found in his word and through the Holy Spirit. Not only that, we should act upon it when we are led. This call to an act of faith brings to mind a story I want to tell that has had a profound effect on me. A number of years ago, my mother shared this story with me. Uh, she went to go visit a family member that was dying at the time. Uh, in the moments after that family mem member passed away, she felt a call from the Holy Spirit to sing a song that many of you may know, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But it was hard. It didn't feel appropriate to her. And as she finished resolving not to sing that song, it was none other than her sister, my aunt, that began singing that very song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. If that isn't the Holy Spirit, I don't know what is. <laughs> I learned so much from that story because we have to be diligent in listening to him, in listening to the Holy Spirit. While we do have to be on watch for the deception of our own heart, the voice of the Holy Spirit should be clear, it should be familiar, and even if it seems a bit out of place, it should always give glory to God. The other attributes I'll keep brief, because we'll have time in small groups to go into them more, but they're equally of worth. Paul charges not to speak evil of anyone, even those that dislike us or even despise us. Avoiding quarreling and arguments, giving up our natural inclination to want to be right and to have the last word. Being gentle to reflect the love and care that Jesus himself displayed. Showing courtesy to all people, not giving in to favoritism, to excluding others, or to judging people based on appearance. Next, let's briefly go over why Paul chooses these behaviors to focus on. Rereading verses 3 through 7. I'll go ahead and reread it real quick. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In verse 3, Paul reminds us what living life outside of God looks like what it's marked by. Disobedience, 
idolizing the various desires and passions that grab our attention, dwelling in selfishness, and having no regard for others. I know there's been times in my own life where I've had seasons that feel that kind of hollow and adrift distance from God, and it's usually marked by these symptoms, by a lack of prayer and a lack of focus on God, trading it instead for worldly desires. And it's only been in coming back and renewing my mind through the Word, through relationship with God, that things begin to change. It's hard to consistently follow after God. After all, we live in a world and in a culture that desires to live apart from God. But verse 3 is not alone. Verses 4 through 7 remind us that God saved us because of his great mercy. We have the option to choose God's way and his wisdom, not our own crooked path. And what a relief it is to know that we are regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And the most comforting and yet unfathomable part is there's nothing we can do or that we've done that earned that salvation. As scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died just as much for the people that loved him as he did for the people that wanted nothing to do with him. It's always good to be reminded of the gospel. We have hope because through faith in Christ, we've been adopted as sons and daughters. And one day, we will, succeed, we will see the fulfillment of the promise of eternal life with God. Moving on, let's look further into verses 8 through 11. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Paul wants to make it clear how essential the gospel is. Many religions and heresies have been fused or made by attempting to add things to salvation outside of the gospel. To give you a quick list of real examples that we see, salvation being the gospel plus works, the gospel plus the Jewish law, the gospel plus spiritual gifts, the gospel and a secondary spiritual book, plus Buddhism, plus Taoism, and anything else that the devil can use to lead people astray. The gospel brings life. Adding anything on top of it or getting entrenched in the non-essentials only adds strife and misery. I don't mention the word entrenched lightly, by the way. It brings to mind the trenches of war's past, depicting how deep, stubborn, and hostile we can become if we add undue things to the matter of salvation. Paul wrote these verses to help Titus navigate matters like this. Paul also gave Titus instructions on how to deal with these people that would try and be divisive. 
This isn't in regards to asking hard questions. That's expected of people trying to increase in their faith. This is in regard to people that have become entrenched in these false beliefs. Even then, even though there is this division, there's a measure of grace extended in a first and even second warning. The priority is placed first and foremost on correction and restoration, on repentance and grace. Then, if it is clear that one of these people described will not repent, Paul instructs Titus to be discerning and to have nothing to do with that kind of person. Finally, let's look at verses 12 through 15. When I said, Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace and peace be with you all. Paul wraps up his letter with some more practical instructions for early church members. Though I think we can learn a lot from this even today. Paul desires to see his fellow brothers and sisters in Crete, showing the importance of community and fellowship. He instructs the church to support the efforts of specific people that are spreading the gospel and in need of support. Likewise, we should be generous in supporting the missionaries and the pastors in our church, whether in funding, in prayer, in service, or in gratitude. Paul caps off the instructions with a charge to take care of people's urgent needs. We should likewise look to our brothers and sisters that are in dire need for people that have hard life circumstances befall them and to go out of our way to strengthen them. And last, but certainly not least, Paul sends his own greetings and a proclamation of grace.